0: good morning i need to i need to set the record straight this morning can i do that real quick first off i'm loving the fact that i can sit down this is great um but uh, I tend to slouch, so I'm going to try to keep posture, my posture pretty decent this morning. Um but let me let me just set the record here. Going forward, I don't want to hear any more half applauses, okay? Uh, if you stood to applause, up for that. <laughs> you got to go full on applause. But the half applause, has just got to stop. All right? So, record is straight. Oh! Jesus. Yes.
1: That's great. So, if, if we say something really good, it'll be Spencer, but that, make that's sure not you true. applause.
0: <laughs> um, I just wanted to, to get that out there. So we're going full on applause from here on out. Cool? All right, cool. That's great. Um, <clears throat> it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, let me say happy Easter to you. Um, one of the things I mentioned last week on Resurrection Sunday is that Easter is a season that we enter into that is 50 days long, Okay it's not one singular day it's a period that we enter into and over the next few weeks we as a teaching team felt led in the easter tide season to spend some time looking at some of the small mini stories of jesus after his resurrection and being able to explore What did it look like in those few weeks, the month after, so to speak, of Jesus' resurrection? Um, And so today, we're going to kind of do something a little bit different. We've never really done this before, uh, where Cameron and I are going to have a dialogue together regarding resurrection. Okay? Um, And let me just also say this. Cameron and I are not biblical scholars, nor are we theologians, even if we like to think we are. Yeah. Um, we're just nerdy Jesus followers who like to read uh, I, what I tell you. Some of y'all need to go to some Pentecostal churches. I'm just saying. You need to Amen. be taught the way of engagement. Thank Age. you. Gee, some of y'all like. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, we're not understand. scholars, we're not theologians, we're just nerdy and like to talk about these things and I think it's a conversation that really matters deeply. So, um, we are going to open the Bible together. So, let's go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 is our primary text for this morning. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Still hear pages turning. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 13 through 17. It reads this: "If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your faith sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us before we get started into our discussion today. Holy Spirit, speak, reveal, open our eyes and minds this morning draw our attention to you. I do not want us to be a people who forget the very reason that we gather every Sunday morning is because of the resurrection. I do not want us to have a fall off from Easter Sunday morning, but to lean even more into the reality of the empty tomb. Have your way among us today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me set the stage for you today in our discussion. Cameron and I are going to be talking through four primary questions. All right. So as you're taking notes, you're thinking through ahead of what we're going to be discussing, let me just kind of lay the, the kind of get the, the lay of the land for you. The first question we're going to ask is, what is resurrection? Okay. The second question that we're going to ask is what resurrection is is not. So what resurrection is not? The third is, what does resurrection future look like? or What does the future have to do with resurrection? What does resurrection have to do with the future? And then the fourth question that we will address is how do we live in light of the resurrection now? All right? So those are the four primary questions. Now let me also say, death for all of us is utterly... Inevitable. Death is the great equalizer. Um, death is something that we all will experience from a loved one or someone close to us, and we will experience ourselves. Death discriminates against no one. And a fundamental human question that we ask, and the camera and I have talked about, is what happens when we die? Or what happens when I die is a fundamental question. Or a question regarding the afterlife. Is there an afterlife? It's fascinating how quickly people become theologians when a loved one passes. Making statements like, so-and-so is looking down on me. Or, you know, they're off in some place. They're describing that place. So quickly people become Folk theologians, because we care about this question around the afterlife and what happens when we die. Now, I was struck this past week because there currently is an art exhibit at the Rubin Art Museum in Manhattan, in Chelsea, entitled Death is Not the End. Hmm. It started in the middle of March and goes all through the rest of this year. And it's focusing on Christian understanding of the afterlife as well as Buddhist understanding of the afterlife. And I just found it to be utterly interesting. One of the main questions it's talking about is what is the human condition, the human condition for all of us and human brokenness. Um, Here's a little snippet from the Rubin website describing this exhibition. Check this out. The exhibition is organized around three major themes: the human condition or the shared understanding of our mortality in this world, states in between or the concepts of limbo, purgatory and bardo, and afterlife focusing on resurrection, ideas of transformation and heaven. It goes on to say Death is Not the End is a cross cultural exhibition that explores notions of death and afterlife through the art of Tibetan Buddhism and Christianity. During a time of great global turmoil, loss, and uncertainty, the exhibition invites contemplation of the universal human condition of impermanence and the desire to continue to exist. Mm. I think it's safe to say that we as humans are curious about the afterlife and about death. And the entire Christian faith, the entire Christian tradition over the last two millennia centers itself and anchors itself on the resurrection of Jesus. It is one, if not the only religion in the world that is solely hinged on a historical event. It's a historical event that binds us together. And yes, there are values. Yes, there is a way of life. Yes, there are ethics, but the grounds and validity of the Christian tradition or the vision from Jesus that he provides for us in terms of living are all attached to the event that is his resurrection. And what got me curious about this conversation ultimately is that I recently saw a study from the Barna group, Barna research group, that looked at 25,000 teens across the globe and the research found that 50% of professing Christian teenagers now believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This means that 50% of professing Christians that are teenagers across the world don't believe in the resurrection. 61% believe that he was crucified, 39% don't yet they profess Christianity. And the resurrection, historically, is the bedrock of the Christian tradition. This struck me. Especially given the fact that two of the earliest creeds that we recite across the globe, across denominational lines, within the Catholic Church, within the Eastern Orthodox tradition, are the Nicene and Apostles' Creed. And in both of those creeds, we see we believe type statements. And in both of these creeds, there is this declaration that on the third day, Jesus actually did raise from the dead, or rise from the dead. So I found that to be interesting. Um, Tim Keller has this to say about uh, the resurrection of Jesus, which I find to be interesting. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said, If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? It hinges on the resurrection. And then the great C.S. Lewis says this. He's famous for this line. Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. We're dealing with a historical event. If it happened, it means everything. If it didn't, it means nothing. So, our first question that we're asking is what is resurrection? Really quick, with your neighbor, take like a couple of seconds, and I want you to ask your neighbor what is resurrection? What do you think resurrection is? Ready? All right, well done. We could discuss this all day. So, the word resurrection in the Greek New Testament is this word anastasis. Can you say that? Anastasis. Well done. And it appears roughly 40 times in the New Testament. And this word literally means a rising from the dead or from the ground. A rising up is what this word anastasis means. And the English word, if you did not know this, the English word resurgence comes from the same etymology as resurrection. So when you think about resurgence or resurge, it comes from the same etymological family as resurrection. Okay? And it's helpful for us to kind of clarify terms, especially given the data that I just mentioned in terms of resurrection. Couple things regarding terms, okay? Resurrection is not resuscitation. Okay? Resurrection is not resuscitation. Go ahead and write that down. Make sure you know that. Resurrection, in the language of N.T. Wright, which he wrote like a 900 page historical and theological work on the resurrection of the Son of God, which none of you will probably ever read because it's so long but it's probably one of the most dense books on the resurrection. He says that resurrection is not life after death, but it's life after life after death. The difference between resurrection and resuscitation is that resurrection is permanent. Resuscitation is temporary. Resurrection is only done through divine activity. Whereas... Resuscitation can be done through human intervention. Like some of you maybe have resuscitated someone in your lifetime. But there's a key distinction. When someone is resuscitated, they will still die. When someone resurrects, when the person of Jesus resurrected, he was permanently alive, and he is permanently alive. Key distinction there in terms of language. Christ is both the object and the subject of his resurrection. Required divine activity. It's not resuscitation. The second thing is that resurrection is not reincarnation. It's not reincarnation. The incarnation already happened. Incarnation just means in the flesh. God became flesh in Jesus. Resurrection emphasizes the body and the soul as one united entity. Whereas reincarnation in Eastern traditions is the extraction of soul from body and put into a different body to start all over again. Does that make sense? So for in resurrection, soul and body are one. But in reincarnation, there is a dualism or or a binary separation from. And like I said, resurrection has this emphasis around a new life, or, 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 excuse me, reincarnation has this emphasis on a new life. Resurrection is focused primarily on new life. There is no starting over. It's 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 a forward-moving reality, if that makes sense.
1: Actually, this may be a good time for me to add something on the soul, uh, now that we're talking about it, yeah. if I can pause you. Sure. So, I was going to talk about this later, but what you just said, like, yeah. sparked me, sparked my mind. So, we, we talk about soul and body and spirit and like what what is the human actually made up of? Yes. And like that's that's a big discussion and um, I, I don't want to skip ahead but a lot of times we think about like a soul going off somewhere after we die or man like I need to practice soul care but then there's also body care which is like separate. So that idea of like these separations is, is very foreign to the Bible both the Old Testament and New Testament. Mm-hmm. So one corrective I mean automatically when we think about resuscitation or, or reincarnation where there's this division, the, the Hebrew Bible, which is what we call the Old Testament, has a word for soul. It's nefesh, right? Say nefesh. Okay, great. So you're speaking Hebrew. Um, and that is not like some part within somebody. It's not like this little thing inside. We don't really know where it's at. So when God created Adam and Eve, the first humans, he said, hey, they just became living nefesh. In other words, the whole person, body, spirit, mind, whatever makes up a human, the whole thing is a living soul. In other words, the the Hebrew faith, the Christian faith, faith is a very embodied, holistic view of the human person. We're not like subdivided up, you know? That's why, like, uh, if you have anxiety, it also gives you stomach pain sometimes. Right? The Bible would be like, yeah, I have no problem with that. Other philosophies might because they're so divided up. Yeah. right? So we're very embodied. So a, a soul actually represents the whole person. Yeah. And
0: so. we, in, in the modern era, have been deeply influenced by this idea that really dates back to Platonic philosophy. Yep. Okay? Like Plato, thousands of years ago, and this separation of soul and body. But in the ancient world, especially as it pertains to resurrection, Soul and body are one, all right? And resurrection is bodily, okay? So Cameron, I want you to kind of continue to lean into this notion of how we have tended to compartmentalize the soul from the human body as it pertains to even some early heresies that that really impacted the first couple hundred years of the church and how it's impacted us today in the secular world as well as in the church as well.
1: Yeah, totally. So I'll start by framing it this way. Who has heard a presentation of the gospel that essentially says Jesus died on the cross so that if you believe in him, when you die, your soul can go to heaven to be with God forever? That's actually like, seems kind of orthodox to you, right? Like that's kind of, you're like, yeah, that's what I believe. Uh, if if that or something similar uh, to that is what you believed. That's fine. There's a lot of people who have, but it's intensely unbiblical, probably heretical. <laughs> so sorry. Intensely. Intensely. Um,
0: you're all heretics. Every last hand that was Not raised. Not
1: regularly. Intensely. Um, so where did that view come from? Like wh- where, how did we get here with that, with that understanding? And we're going to correct, we're going to give the correct view, but I just want to kind of like uh, tear down some things first. Um, at this point, the perfect example is like "I'll fly away." You guys yeah, know the song right. "I'll fly away." I'll fly away. Like that is bad
0: theology. All right, it's just really bad. Great song, good heart, good intention. Yeah, bad good intention. Theology. It's
1: like I'm gonna deal with suffering now, but I will be going to somewhere better in the future. That that's great, but a little off. So at this point, I could get really nerdy, and I almost did, but I, I will spare us. Um, but we can actually draw a historical line between a few figures. Uh, leading up to the early church um, to kind of set the stage for how we got these views. The first one is uh, a guy named Socrates, if you've heard the name Socrates. It's, it's interesting, we don't actually have any writings from Socrates, but we do have writings from his disciple, Plato. Plato. Anybody heard of Plato, the philosopher? Yeah, Plato, but Plato. Yeah, okay. Some of you with children are like, I,
0: I do that every day with Plato every day it's so. yes. <laughs> different.
1: Thank you. Very different. Very different. Well, Plato had another disciple named um, Aristotle. And uh, actually, we wouldn't know about any of these guys except for the fact that Aristotle, he made a habit of discipling young noblemen. So he, he discipled several future kings, including one, Alexander III of Macedon. And young Alex, you may know him by a different name, Alexander the Great. Anybody heard of Alexander the Great? So Alexander the Great, uh, he was deeply influenced by Plato's ideas and Aristotle's ideas. And he actually, like, was captivated by Plato's ideas. He was like, dude, this could save the world. (laughs) And Alexander the Great made it his life mission to civilize the known world. And how did he have to do that? Well, first he had to conquer the world. So he, in like a fit of charismatic whatever, uh, conquered the known world in under 10 years. And then he died. It was weird. but So he's before he's 30, he's conquered the world. But here was his goal. He wanted to take Plato's ideas out to the world. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, Alexander was Greek. It, it later became known as Greek philosophy uh, or Hellenistic philosophy, if you want to get really nerdy. And, and what were these views? Because he succeeded. we are still dealing with the fact that Alexander the Great took Plato's philosophies out to the world. We're still dealing with that today. So what were his views? Well, did that diagram get... Yeah, yeah,
0: we have the diagram. I have a diagram. It's a very nerdy diagram. It's super nerdy. So just bear with us. Don't
1: get, don't get scared. Yeah, okay. If
0: it's your first time, welcome to Emmaus. I'm so thrilled. I'm
1: sorry. That you're here today. But I, I, I just trust we can handle it. So So what what was the Greek philosophy? And this is going to be a really simplistic view of it. Uh, I'll do my best because, you know, I'm not the most smart person in the room either. But basically, Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, they split all of reality into two different, I'll use the word realms, two different realms. The really nerdy word, I'm going to lose some people, but is uh, metaphysical dualism. Metaphysical only meaning the sum total of reality, what makes up everything, and dualism representing a split. So for Plato and for Socrates, there was this like perfect realm of perfect forms. And there's no, there was no physicality. There was no material. There was no, nothing that you could touch and real, uh, feel real. But it, it, it was perfect. It was, it was even morally perfect. But that was up there. But then what about us down here? Well, us down here, we are made up of actually physical matter, stuff you could touch. And, and we're actually a copy of everything that's up there. But here's the problem. What's down here, matter, physicality, is actually intrinsically evil. Like matter is evil. Not just that things are broken, not just that things go wrong, but actually This water bottle, there's a copy of this water bottle up in the, up there, but this water bottle is an evil, corrupt version because it has matter. Does that make sense? This was their view. So what is the answer then? Well, the answer then is we need to escape the physical world and ascend into the immaterial. And that's where we'll live forever. And you're like, man, I think my pastor preached on that when I was growing up. (laughs) Yeah, so Alexander the Great took this philosophy out to the world. And by the time of Jesus, it was everywhere. Greek philosophers uh, believed that. Now, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, did not believe this. Some of them kind of dabbled in it. um, But for the most part, they didn't believe this. However, after the time of Jesus, um, non-Jewish people joined his movement. Uh, Gentile people. Greeks joined his movement. And that's great, praise the Lord. That was part of the move of God to invite the nations into the people of God. But some of them brought along this Greek philosophy with them. They too thought that everything material is corrupt. Well, some of the early church fathers said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to mix the Greek philosophy with the teachings of the Hebrew Bible and the teachings of Christ. And thus, a new philosophy was born called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. I have a quote from uh, Tim Warner. Can we get that up there? Did that make it?
0: I did. I'm sorry. My bad.
1: No worries. I'm so just, just listen to this quote.
0: It took so much brain power to put up the, the graphic that the, the quote didn't get up
1: there. <laughs> Your quotes made it up there. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all right. So here we go. This is the quote. Now we're having fun. This is the quote from Tim Warner. Uh, Just listen. Use your imagination. Um, The Greek mindset derived from Plato held that physical matter was itself corrupt. The Greek pagan mindset of the afterlife was, was entirely bound up with the idea of escaping the earth and ascending to a supposed heavenly destiny salvation in the Greek mind involved escape from the material creation and ascending into the heavens in a purely spiritual state of eternal bliss. Um, A guy named Origen, did I say his name yet? Origen, early church father. It was his mission to take the Greek philosophy and the Christian philosophy and disseminate it out to the rest of the world. And he was successful. So, there's a lot of more historical stuff between then and now, but that basically became orthodoxy, and we're still dealing with it today. Is that good? You want to add anything? Is that good? Is that helpful? Okay. Philosophy one-on-one. Right. <laughs> we could uh, we could also talk about like creation restored versus being destroyed, but yeah. So
0: one of the things that's it's important for us to understand is as I mentioned earlier. This Gnostic philosophy has impacted our secular world, and it's impacted our Christian. Under- also, my mic is really jacking up. Fania, thank you, Jesus. Thank-, thank you, Jesus. Come on now. <laughs> Can I get a different mic, please? Thank you so much. I feel like I'm- yeah,
1: Fania All right. Awesome.
0: There we go. Now we're matching. Yeah. Okay.
1: This is superior. Um, What's that? This is superior. It is. Yes.
0: um, (laughs) I know this is like totally off track. Sorry. Some of you guys are like, I'm not coming back next week. That's okay. Um, But one of the things that we just have to understand is that, uh, and I'm going to get to the creation restored in a little bit, but we have this theology of escaping the material world or the objective material world is bad, or my body is bad and my inner being is good. And this is a Gnostic reality that is false and deeply problematic for us in our theology and our life experience, if we're honest. Um, Because as Cameron mentioned, our body is intricately connected with our inner being as well. And the soul, uh, once you get to the New Testament, the word for soul is psyche. Psyche, it's where we get our, our word psychology from. Now, psychology now tends to be about the study of the mind, but actually, in original terms, it's the study of the soul, and the soul is a very interesting um, word and aspect of our human person, but it really is the integration of all of our being, mind, heart, body, and even our relational sphere as well, um, so I think it's helpful for us, again, to realize our soul and body are unique, but also one, okay? Um, so, hopefully that kind of
1: clarifies yeah. some of that. So, uh, maybe I could hit on the the implications for, like, the wider creation real quick. And then I have a question for you. Sure. You, you want to do that? Yeah. Or, okay. So, part of our view of, like, what Spencer just said of, like, our bodies, like, not being important or not good. First of all, I just want to say, like, that is a misconception of, yeah, I think just our our day and this philosophy, the Bible would actually say your body is good. Yes. And maybe some of us really need to hear that today. Your body is actually, it's good. It's, it's part of God's creation given to you to enjoy and to steward. It's good. Um, but we also have this idea, uh, I think from maybe a misconception of certain Bible verses, like from Peter or something, that part of the the goal of all, all of this Christian life is that one day God is just going to like nuke the whole earth and blow everything up, and maybe he'll start it over again, but probably not. Like we're probably going away, and he's just going to like destroy it all. Well, that's that's also part of Greek philosophy. Um, I, I'll jump ahead just a little bit and say it's creation restored versus escaping creation while it's destroyed. Our goal is actually creation restored, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But mm-hmm. just part of this like good. Uh, good creation idea is I want you to know not only are our bodies a gift but creation itself is good, it's a gift, physicality
0: sure. yeah. is good so here, here is a dichotomy we find ourselves in in the, in the modern era we have a m- prime emphasis on environmental care and creation care why? because the material world is good but then we also have this vision of we can do whatever we want with our bodies those two philosophies actually contradict one another yeah, in do. terms do you see that? Do you see the incongruence? Your body is a part of creation. Your body is a part of the material world. Therefore, your body matters. If we can we conserve the environment and creation, which we should, it's a vision I think given from Genesis one and two. Then we have to be consistent in our vision, and not just pick and choose what it is that we want to to affirm and not affirm. So back to again, the material reality matters both creation as the outside world and our physical bodies in creation as well. So
1: so, so actually, yeah. the outflow of some of the early Greek philosophers was that, was it, Stuh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Anyway, an early heretic. Basically, they had the, or Manichaeans or something, they had the idea that, well, because our body doesn't really matter, it's all about our soul, as long as like we have good, good spiritual care, I don't know, we can do whatever we want with our bodies and, the forms of sexuality and the forms of eating and pleasure, because the body doesn't matter. It's going away. It's being destroyed. But our spirit, as long as we're connected with God, that's all that matters. And basically what we're saying is that this isn't new. This idea of Gnosticism has made it down to today, and it's still affecting, I think, the way that we view our bodies. Yeah, and we can see that what
0: we do with our bodies impacts our inner being as well um i think there's plenty of data to, to show that we talk a lot about basil van der kolk's book you know body keeps the score um, so uh, the other thing too going back to jesus uh, you know one of the things that people often ask is the validity of the resurrection right there are a lot of theories as to maybe what happened that's not resurrection some people have a lot of different theories uh, regarding what happened to his body was it stolen um, there's the swoon theory. Jesus passed out on the cross. He didn't actually die, which kind of dismisses ancient Roman crucifixion in that process. Um, some think that it actually wasn't Jesus on the cross. It was like maybe Judas on the cross. Um, but the reality is, is that Jesus's mom is right there at the cross and sees her son. So she would have known the difference between Judas and Jesus. Some think that maybe it was like a, a twin brother or something. But again, Jesus's mother is there and would have known the difference. If any of you know someone who has twins, uh, they they know the difference between their two kids. Um, and there are just numerous theories. One of the prime theories, though, is um, hallucination. That the disciples actually hallucinated and got a vision of Jesus, but it actually wasn't Jesus in the physical. Does this make sense? So a lot of scholars, this is kind of the, the argument that they hang their hat on, because most scholars, agnostic, atheist, Christian, believe in the historical Jesus, believe he was crucified, and a majority of scholars across the board believe that the early disciples actually believed that they had an encounter with Jesus. So the question has to be what actually happened, and the fact that overnight this movement is launched to where there's two billion of us across the world now. Something happened. Um, so the primary argument is hallucinations, but here's the problem. Most Psychiatrists and psychologists have said mass hallucinations do not happen. They do not happen. In the early accounts, in 1 Corinthians, we see that Jesus appeared to 500 people. He appears to multiple people at different times and in different ways. And so it kind of debunks this notion. Even most skeptics believe that Jesus was seen or experienced by at least four people historically. So there's a lot of this debate even amongst historical scholars. I think it takes more faith to believe in something other than the resurrection, than to believe in the resurrection itself. Um, So you might say, well, what if, why didn't they just, or could they have just seen a vision of Jesus, like a ghost? But here's the issue with that argument. The tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. So you could have investigated the tomb. And some think, well, maybe maybe they got the tombs wrong. Again, there are women there who are at the burial site, the night that Jesus is buried, they know where the tomb is and they come back a couple days later. So you could have investigated the tomb. And so the fact that the tomb is empty, guys, reveals to us that it wasn't just a ghost or a vision, but a bodily resurrection. The clothes even, his linens are left in place in the tomb. And throughout the, the experiences, as we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, over the 40, 50 days or so, 40 days up to the ascension, is that Jesus is doing a lot of very human things. He's eating with the disciples. He's hanging out with the disciples. And so it was a physical experience, not just some sort of vision in terms of um, the, the resurrection.
1: So would you say it's, it would be very not okay for someone to say, you know, it just, it's just easier for me to believe that the resurrection is a spiritual thing
0: I think most people, even if, maybe for you today, you're like, I think it's just kind of a spiritual thing. Maybe they saw a vision of Jesus. But again, you can say that if the stone still covers the tomb. But it didn't. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that the tomb was empty and that Jesus actually died through Roman crucifixion. Yeah. He didn't, like, survive and then limp off and run away and survive, you know, die in the woods somehow, bleeding out. Like, and that's not how Walton the narrative Lyles. goes.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, the dude is... He's, Mutilated before he even goes to the cross. Um, and so that, that's something to take into account as well. Um, is that helpful for you guys? Maybe one of you? Okay, that's awesome. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Thank you, it was man. helpful for me. I just need one affirmation. That's it.
1: Yeah. That's I affirm you Thank deeply. You. It was good. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. Somebody said that that's was good. That's my mom, by the oh. way. Come on, mom. <laughs> My dad's here too. Yes. So,
0: Cameron, now let's talk about, oh, here's one other thing. Um, some people say, well, resurrection doesn't happen. Duh. No one in the first century believed it did either. Like, we, we automatically assume people in the first century are, like, more dumb than, than, than we are now. Nobody was expecting resurrection it's in the center of history. The Jewish people were a resurrection people, but they thought of resurrection at the end of time, at the end of history. This happened at the center of history with the Messiah, the one person. No one was expecting it. That's why the disciples flee. That's why they show up with burial spices. Because they're expecting a dead body. Okay, a closed tomb. So some people say, well, miracles don't happen. This is like the David Hume argument. Okay, miracles don't happen because we have natural law. All right? But natural law simply describes reality. He doesn't prescribe it. And God is outside of nature. And so he can... He can uh, suspend natural law, and he can put new events into the created world whenever he wants without having to um, go against natural law. The natural laws we have are for the created world, but God is not created. And they describe, they don't prescribe Okay, I mean, there are some, th- some 5,000, 10,000 documented cases of near-death experiences where people have these moments of an afterlife-type experience and they come back into the real world. That's good. And so we have to navigate some of these realities. But when we say, well, there's natural law, natural law describes. And the reality is if I were to you know, drop this cup and, and gravity drops it, I can also catch this cup as well. Does that mean I impinge on natural law? No, it just means I interact with it just as God can interact with it as well. and He can suspend it and, and he can put new events into the natural world as he pleases, okay? Maybe that's too nerdy for some of you, but. <laughs> don't, don't, I'm on. Yeah, all right. I oh, do no. oh. So anyway, <laughs> um, can you talk about a little bit, Cameron, as we kind of begin moving towards our end, how does the physical resurrection of Jesus
1: two millennia ago inform us about our future? Yeah. So let's go into like the theology of resurrection. Like where do we begin if we're trying to build out a theology of resurrection? And it's simple. Uh, Spencer already hinted at it. We start with Jesus. Jesus was the first one who experienced resurrection and eternal life. So when we start to ask, okay, maybe these guys have a point. Maybe this whole going off to heaven forever, maybe that's got some, maybe that's wrong. So, So what is my future then? If I believe in Jesus, what is my future? What happens after I die? Or what's the ultimate goal of this whole thing? We have to look at, okay, someone already experienced it. Jesus already experienced it. Yeah. So when we look at the biblical account, Jesus is, he's, it's very physical. It's very tangible. He actually has breakfast with his disciples. He goes on a long walk on the road to Emmaus, which is what the church is named after. Praise God. Yeah, right. He also still bore scars, which is interesting. He still had scars in his body. But what we're trying to say is that the, the future for creation, the future for our bodies, is a resurrection into a body that's very similar to yours now. Now, vastly better. Like, we can't, even, we can't even begin to start the discussion of, okay, I've got my body here, but what is it actually going to be like in the future? The disciples actually say, look, we don't fully know what it's going to be like, but we do know... It's going to be glorious, like his body was. So when we begin to think about a theology of resurrection, well, we look at Jesus walking the shores of Galilee after he's raised from the dead. We look at the fact that he still ate. Yeah. He still had emotion. Now he walked through a wall. I'm not sure what, what's going on there. So he had he had different abilities. He could interact with physical with the physical world differently, but it's very physical. Yeah. So I, let me just. I want to turn to a couple of scriptures. So this is in 1 Corinthians 15, a little uh, further on from where we, st- where we read earlier. But this is showing the difference between Adam, the first human, and the second Adam, Jesus, uh, the second restored eternal life person. So the first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust, that's us, Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of the heaven. So, the future resurrection, the future restored body. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so we look at Jesus and we say, the glory that he experienced is our future. Here's another one. Uh, This is in 1 John 3.2. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. Like, we're still, it's kind of a question. We know that when He, Jesus, appears, when He comes again, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Come on. We will be like Him. Um, one more scripture. Uh, to tie together the resurrection of Jesus with creation, which uh, I'll hit on for just a second. This is in Romans eight twenty through 23. This, Romans 8 is really perhaps, at least in the New Testament, perhaps the, the best place to look for the restoration of creation. So let's, let's look here. Romans eight twenty through 23. For the creation, like look outside, the creation was subject to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay, into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah. So the resurrection of Jesus, it, it informs us of our bodily future, but here's the reality. Creation itself is going to experience a resurrection from the dead, as it were. Yeah. The whole of creation is going to experience what Jesus himself experienced. Restoration, recreation, We're going to look out at creation and say, okay, that is a beautiful sight, but what is it going to be like when Jesus returns to restore all things? Can't even imagine. Yeah.
0: I know I've heard before, you know, when people ask, what do you think heaven's going to be like, right? Well, I automatically think about new creation. And my response, and I've heard others respond this way by saying, go look outside Think about a national park you've been to, or the most beautiful scenery you've ever seen before. Um, In essence, that will carry over into the new creation based on the biblical narrative from start to finish. And we're not just going to be like angelic babies in diapers playing harps, like little caspers, you know, in this disembodied experience. That actually doesn't sound very fun to me. I don't know about you. But uh, the fact that Jesus is eating and drinking, I'm like, let's eat and let's drink and let's hang out and have fun. I mean, literally the consummation of all things is a picture of a wedding banquet. And let's be honest. Some of us, even if you're introverted, you come alive at a wedding reception. Something happens when Earth, Wind & Fire comes on or Maroon 5 comes on. And you're just like, all right, something's happening right now. Like, we're loving this. And I'm just thinking like, this is going to be a beautiful experience, but most of us have been presented with a vision of new creation or heaven that honestly sounds like the other place.
1: And actually kind of scary. Yes. Like Like, I'm going to not be in my, what does that mean? It sounds like a, like it's all new, all neutral colors,
0: right? (laughs) Like no one's really laughing or having fun. We're just singing the same song over and over and over and over and over again. It looks like a kinfolk like photo shoot. (laughs) It is not exciting at all, but it's not biblical, and so we're just trying to help you realize the resurrection of Jesus and how he experienced life in those few weeks helps us get a foretaste of what the future will actually look like, which hopefully gets us excited about what is to come. Mm. Yes? Come on. Mm-hmm. All right. There we go.
1: <laughs> how much time do we have left? Like, w-
0: I think we got like literally five or seven minutes, man.
1: Okay. Maybe you, 10. Where do you want to go now? We, we, we can like stretch these folks a little bit. Okay.
0: Is that okay? I do yeah. that every week, so.
1: Go, go, just jump into you, our, just our next, next, our next, next question? little point. Okay. Sure. So uh, you, you might have already touched on this a little bit. but So we've hit on this already, but what is the goal of resurrection? Is God starting over with something completely new or something else going on? Which I think we've kind of started. To yeah,
0: we, we kind of have a bit. I want us to all have this awareness today and understanding that resurrection um, and new creation is not about replacement, but renovation this earth will not be replaced, That's good. but it will be repaired and renovated and restored. I, uh, I've been fascinated with um, the Cathedral Notre Dame in Paris. It burned you know, four years ago, caught on fire. And over the last four years, there has been a, a, a um, whole team of architects and folks that have been restoring this beautiful piece of architecture. And I, I watched a 60 Minutes documentary on this and it was entitled the resurrection of notre dame and they're using a lot of the same original materials that built notre dame in the medieval period and being intentional about it notre dame is not being replaced by a shopping mall or a modern church warehouse with low lighting <laughs> and lasers for millennials for millennials <laughs> yes it's not going to it's not going to be like some massive dome right right it's going to be very similar to what it was. It's restored, it's repaired, it's renewed. And so this gives us, I think, a picture of what resurrection will be like. Um, Or think about furniture. Some of you like to restore old furniture, right? It just, you make it more beautiful than it was before. Um, You restore an old broken chair or or table and, and restore it and repair it and renew it. So it isn't a start over. And we know this because Jesus doesn't start over. He doesn't come back as a baby, He comes back in a similar kind of season of life that he was in when he died. So we kind of have that understanding there. If he he were to start over, that looks a bit more like reincarnation, but he doesn't start over. Okay? Um, Revelation 21, 1 through 2 just says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is referencing Isaiah 65, 17. Um, But when we see this word new, we think about new in time. But in the ancient world, it was new in quality and essence and character. And the Hebrew word for new has a verb tense, which really is to renew or to restore or to repair. So um, even when we think about the, the, the notion of refinement and the earth will be destroyed, it really is more of a refining process to unearth a precious diamond or a precious metal that already exists. Mm. So that's kind of the vision in terms of what uh, will take place at the the, the consummation of all things. Um, so those are just a couple things to think about in terms of the goal uh, of resurrection and uh, what will eventually take
1: place in light of what happened to Jesus' bodily resurrection. So let me, I want to add one point to this. This is part of the gospel. So what we're talking about isn't like a separate point. Okay, so... Honestly, I think this is the part of the gospel that preaches better now in 2023 than old forms of gospel presentation that we used to have. So so think about this. If our culture, so the gospel usually is like, hey, you're a sinner and you should really feel bad about that. But don't worry, Jesus died so that you can not feel bad about that anymore and have your sin forgiven. Okay, that's that's part of it. And that's important, right? You know, sin is obviously like bad and broken. Um, But what about when you have a culture that doesn't believe in sin anymore, how do you like muster up conviction in somebody that's like, well, I mean, I have my truth. You have your truth, whatever. Right. Right? It's kind of tough. So we actually have another portion of the gospel that needs to be preached. It's a legitimate part of the gospel. Yes. And that is that, Hey, look out at the world that is broken. We have wars. We have uh, sex trafficking that is like worse than ever before. What, how does the gospel speak into that? God's ultimate goal is to fix the whole thing. Yes. Pain removed. Wars no more. Read Isaiah 2. He ends war. He turns the plow, the, the, the spear into a plowshare and a pruning hook. Mm. Right? This, is, this isn't just like something we're trying to add in. This is intrinsic to the euangelion, the good news, the gospel. And how did, like, it preaches so good. Mm -hmm. And for all these people who have just, like, strived and worked and grown tired their whole life, what if you told them, hey, there's an age of rest coming where you get to enjoy creation the way it was meant to be. Yeah. And your body has greater congruence with itself and with God. This is why the gospel of Jesus is so compelling.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, I don't think we have time for this today, but one of the things that, that Cameron has spent a lot of time on is um, the, the role of bodily resurrection as it pertains to individuals experiencing physical and mental and emotional disability on this side of new creation. Um, and experiencing a traumatic injury that's impacting you for the rest of this side of creation, bodily resurrection is a deeply hopeful reality for you. Do you want to just like really quickly, that's a whole lot, that's a whole nother talk about this disability and then new creation, but do you want to talk about that just for like 30 seconds?
1: Yeah. I won't get into like theology of disability for time, but I'll talk about just very briefly my experience. Um, so I have been disabled for 11 and a half years. So 2011, and 18, I had a diving accident. Broke my neck. I've been paralyzed ever since. And God's been so good to me through it. I mean, I can't even, you can't even look back on it and say it was a tragedy just because of how good God has been through it. Um, but when I was injured, like prior to my injury, I had met God in a profound way before my injury. Um, but it was in the context of the, prosperity gospel word of faith movement that believed that it was always God's will to heal all the time Um, and so I went into my injury believing that um, and uh, was in the charismatic space a lot and I still identify as that like I'm speaking in tongues okay so don't get me wrong on that Um, but I went into that like having all of the points of how all the Methodists are getting antsy out here right now I had all the points of this is what you do to get your healing. I had the prayers. I had the tapes. Um, And and I'm not trying to, if if anybody here believes that, I don't want you to, like, for your walls to go up, please. Um, But I had this deep hope of right now healing that carried me through a lot of it. I I really believed it, really did. Um, But you can only go for so long seeking after something that may not be God's will. Um, And eventually it just, it can leave you broken um, it can leave you in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, so what the Lord did very gently, very patiently, is he began to retrain and reframe my understanding of healing, of suffering, of brokenness in the present, but in light of everything we've been talking about, the, the restoration of all things in the future. Yeah, And he so gripped my heart with the fact that our future is one of bodily resurrection on a restored earth that My confidence went from, okay, I'm going to be okay because I know God is going to heal me right now to I'm going to be okay because I know God is going to actually heal me in the restoration of all things. And if he wants to do it right now, that's great. But I'm okay because every moment of suffering faithfully now actually gains me a reward in the future. And so when I have a restored body in the future, like, I'm going to be okay right now because of that fact. Mm -hmm. So it, it... it really is a compelling gospel, and I believe the Holy Spirit gets behind it because I've experienced that.
0: Amen. So. Amen. That's good. So as we close, um, a quick question for us to ask is how do we live in light of the resurrection? And as Cameron mentioned, um, the resurrection is utterly hopeful. For us, it gives us a a reason to endure pain and suffering. Cameron will run again. Cameron will run again. Your, Your family member who has cancer will be healed if they are, in fact, in Christ. If you participate in the sufferings of Christ, you participate in his resurrection. If you participate in the cross, you participate in the empty tomb. That is the promise. And so as we think about how we live in light of the resurrection... Just a couple of things I want us to be aware of. This life that we live in now truly isn't all that there is. Um, We are actually in somewhat of a dress rehearsal for eternity, preparing and learning what it means for us to rule as image bearers and to live in light of the original mandate from Genesis 1, to be image bearers, to reflect and to represent God in this world and to be in uh, a place of oneness and harmony with him. Um, the last thing I'll kind of share is this. Um, you all know that we are a story-based people. Stories are what change us. Narratives are what change us. And uh, Alastair McIntyre, who was a philosopher in the middle of the 20th century, famously said, you can't answer the question, what am I to do, until you answer the question of what story am I living in? And I believe with all my heart, theologically, that the work that you do now will carry over. The good work you do now will carry over into the new creation. The goodness of our earth now that exists will carry over into the new creation. Because if our material bodies carry over, then the good things that we enjoy in this world will carry over. I think about the garden project that we're launching here. We have a work day next week, by the way. Come on. like That is a glimpse of future new creation. And so I just want us to have that awareness today that our work matters, creativity matters, and beauty matters, drawing our attention to what is ultimately to come, a hopeful reality of new life and new creation. And so that when we die, it is really a a sleeping period. It is not a wall, but now is a doorway because death has been defeated. We have nothing to fear any longer because death has been utterly defeated. Conquered by Jesus and the resurrection is evidence of that and it is the first fruits of a greater harvest that is to come Jesus by his resurrection The end came into the present and launched us into a new creation process Where the spirit of God is already extending and planting new life in all of us Mm -hmm. now and so I hope that today This has been a helpful conversation. I know we've never done this before. This is unique. Some of you are still trying to figure it out, and that's okay. Um, But I want us to be a resurrection people. It is core to our theology as Christians across the world. Uh, And again, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, don't just talk about that Jesus rose on the third day, but they also conclude with the resurrection of the body at the end of the age as well. So um, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close. I'm going to invite you guys to come in and respond um, in terms of communion, which is another foreshadowing of the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, next week, we're going to talk about doubt and deconstruction. Ooh. All right. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I got your, I got your uh, interest now um, talking about Thomas and doubt. Um, so that's coming up next week. But let me pray. And feel free to respond um, with the broken body of Christ as represented in this bread and his poured out blood as represented in this cup. So, Holy Spirit, we are grateful and we are very thankful this morning that you are in fact alive and that you resurrected. We are grateful that you are active and you are moving even now. Would you give us a new hope today and help us to live in that new hope that because of the resurrection, we are able to live with courage and with peace and with rest. We thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You may now, as you would like, come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ and participate. We'll be right back. back.